Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending where you are in this fine world. And I'm super excited today uh, to have uh, Dr. Kelly Garrett on with me. Uh, if you see my shirt at the beginning of the of the show, that is actually my EMI uh, shirt that I have. And uh, well, Dr. Garrett, welcome to the show. Thanks, Todd. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And uh, you know, as a as a proud graduate of the Executive Academy, uh, you know, that's my my shirt says so. Um, I was it, was it was great to be able to learn from you um, and and to interact with you um, during that uh, during the con- during the training that we had there. It's it's more than training. It's it's uh, connections and and it's a great place to be. And I do appreciate everything that you guys do um, over at EMI. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate your kind thoughts. So we're talking about some of the stuff that you're doing, the changes that you're making to, to the program, um, and adding a new dynamic to it with Gettysburg. Now, when I was there, we went to Gettysburg. We had a tour of it, a private tour. I got to see a lot of interesting um, dynamics of, of the battle and what it was. Uh, and we talked a little bit about what it was to recover from the, the war. Um, but you guys take it to the next level and tell me about that program that you have and how it's really impacting or going to impact the students. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that Todd, because the experience in the executive Academy is drastically different than, uh, even when you attended, uh, because we've had students over the past few years express an interest in getting to go to Gettysburg, especially folks that live outside of the mid-Atlantic area because they typically don't get back to the eastern part of the United States. And if they're interested in history at all, would like to see Gettysburg. But as you know, with the time we have available in the Executive Academy, we, we can't really spend time just going on a field trip. So I tried to think through how could we offer a Gettysburg experience to our students and have, uh, have it be meaningful to the curriculum of the Executive Academy. So it came up with the concept of the disaster at Gettysburg. And for anyone listening that may have a military background and is familiar with the staff ride process or anybody that's a history buff and is going on a, a battlefield tour, the focus is really on the military history or maybe the historical leadership aspects of the people involved in the event. But we wanted to design an experience that's focused on a disaster striking a community. So we really looked at what is the combined destructive power of the events that took place over the three days of July 1st through the 3rd of 1863. Um, And the equivalent to what happened to the community was uh, the combination of something that was like gale force winds, wildfires, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes and floods all in one and had this tremendous capacity for destruction and damage. So we look at the events that happened in Gettysburg as a disaster striking a community for three days um, and using the lifelines of uh, modern incident response to determine what happened to the community and how would we apply that to a disaster striking a community in a similar fashion in today's world. Now, I mean, I know everybody or most people understand Gettysburg as the battle, right? The, the the early days of July 
and the heat and everything that was going on there. And it was rained actually as well. A uh, bunch of different combinations of things that were happening. And, and we think of the, of the, of the men um, that were, were killed that day, but it was, it was way more than that when it comes to the destruction of the, of the town, uh, unexploded ordinance. Um, you have, it was a dairy community, if I remember correctly. And all the, the, the dead cows, the horses, uh, just all sorts of things that were just going awry um, at that time. So what are some of the steps that you're looking at specifically? Like what's your first step when it comes to addressing issues when it looks, when you're looking at Geisberg? But that, that's a great point, Sid. And we look at uh, some of the, the events pre-disaster that, that happened in the community when there was a, the indication that the disaster may be striking the community before it actually did. So we look at what the transportation system was like in the community, both rail and roads. What was the communication structure like? What type of public works were there? Uh, Public health and human services and medical. Because as you indicated, uh, at the end of the three days, there were over 4,000 dead horses lying on the battlefield, uh, along with a lot of dead soldiers that had been put into shallow graves. There were thousands of wounded that were left behind in the community that had to be treated. Uh, What was the effect on public safety and security? Uh, You mentioned dead cows. It was a farming community predominantly. So what was the impact on on the agriculture and the natural resources of the community? Now, on day two of the battle, for instance, some of the hottest action took place in the wheat field and the peach orchard. So the damage done, there was no wheat crop that year and there was damage done to the peach orchard. So how did that impact the community? Um, We also bring in the aspect of external affairs. What was the public information and who was involved in disseminating or interpreting public information? What was food, water and shelter like for the members of the community? And then after the battle, uh, there were volunteers that came to town to help with the recovery aspects. Um, some of them were nuns that came from uh, the nunnery that was on the site of our EMI campus today. So we try to incorporate all of those events and all of those considerations into uh, the events that took place in Gettysburg over the course of those three days. Now, on the civilian leadership side of things, ever you tell me that, like the the mayor, and eva- along with other townspeople, evacuated Gettysburg before the battle occurred. Um, how long was it before the civilian leadership came back to Gettysburg to help with the recovery? Uh, that's a great question, Todd. Um, my understanding is uh, that they came back within a few weeks after the battle was over. But uh, again, there was really no system in place. There was no state department of emergency management to oversee everything. And there certainly wasn't any type of government restitution available at that point. So it, it was really incumbent on the volunteers that came into town and, and the public safety and security people, the sheriff and some of the deputies and um, the local firefighters. There was a fire department at the time in Gettysburg, but it was the old horse-drawn you know, um, pumper and some volunteer firemen. So it was really the community members that came together and really focused on the recovery aspects of the aftermath. 
How long did it take them to get back to some sort of sense of normalcy? If you do you know that, I mean, maybe 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 for them, <laughs> they never got back to the sense of normalcy. Yeah, it, it it took it took years. It took a long time. Uh, we have an excellent battlefield guide. A gentleman named Joe Mikowski, who's a published author, he's written four books on Gettysburg and the Civil War. He's the past president of the Gettysburg Battlefield Guides Association, and he's got over 32 years of experience. So he's a wealth of knowledge uh, in addition to being a very enthusiastic purveyor of the experience at Gettysburg. And he leads the actual on-site venture around the battlefield for us. So we do a tabletop exercise the second day of, of the second week of the Executive Academy to really orient everyone to what happened before the disaster struck, when the disaster struck, and then the recovery part. Then the next day, we go out on the battlefield, and Joe guides us through those events, and we're actually standing on the ground where everything occurred, so we can really get a sense of what it looked like and what the people in the town experienced over those three days. So I this question is kind of odd because that battle was not supposed to happen, right? Uh, no one on the military side. No one expected that was going to be the place where it occurred. Uh, General Lee actually has said, hey, we don't want you to engage with the Union. Um, the Union guys sort of just stumbled upon uh, a patrol on the first day of the battle type thing. Uh, I just found that kind of fascinating in the general history of Gettysburg. Um, so it, it wasn't like the townspeople and the town was like, oh, this is going to be the meet. We're going to meet here. This is the battlefield. They, it, it sort of came I don't want to say surprise them necessarily, but it wasn't necessarily something that they expected, was it? No, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's actually a book that said that we never expected this to happen. So no one expected the events that happened on July 1st through the 3rd of 1863 to, to happen where they did. Um, and we try to draw that correlation, too, to a, a disaster unexpectedly striking a community. It's just like hurricane season in the southeast. We know when hurricane season typically starts and ends. We just don't know what the types of hurricanes and how severe they're going to be or where they're going to strike. So part of it is people may have the mindset, well, we've never had a hurricane strike our community before. It may not happen here, but that doesn't mean that it can't just because it didn't. And there were signs that indicated that this storm was headed toward Gettysburg. um, And there were lots of rumors, but... Um, you know, nobody really did anything until it actually happened. So it kind of put this in perspective for people that have never been to Gettysburg. We we think of a battle uh, on, you know, when we look at TV movies and things like this of the civil war, it's this grand field and two troops are marching in there. That did happen um, a bit across the wheat field, but the first day and correct me if I'm wrong on these, please that there was actually more skirmishes going on and it actually got into the village area. Uh, I know that they ended up going uh, to the cemetery and there was still fighting going between buildings to buildings, almost like an urban warfare. Um, and so there was a little bit more destruction to the, um, to the urban, to the housing and, and village, if you will, than, than people really think. Um, is, am I right on that? Um, yeah. The, on the on the first day, um, the the Confederates did actually seize part of the the town on the uh, eastern part of the town, and did actually go through a part of the downtown area. 
most of the Union forces actually uh, started to anchor their defenses around the seminary and Seminary Hill. Interestingly enough, though, there wasn't a whole lot of damage to the the town itself, Todd. I mean, there you can we can still see pock marks where bullets struck buildings and and some shells. Uh, but interestingly enough, there was only one civilian that was killed during the entire three days of the battle. And that was Jenny Wade, who was actually baking bread one morning. Um, and she was the only, and a stray bullet from a sniper came through um, her home and, and killed her. But um, despite the fact that a battle raged on there for three days, there, there were no other civilian deaths. I, I, didn't, I knew that Jenny Wade was killed. I just didn't realize she was the only one, though. Yes. See, I'm, I'm learning. I'm still learning from you, Dr. Carrot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So how, how has this been um, received? Uh, we did it for the first time last year, actually, and it was a little challenging because of COVID. So we weren't actually able to get together in person um, and, and to get on the battlefield. So uh, we had to offer a virtual delivery of this week of the Executive Academy last year. So what we did is we hired a videographer and we went out on the battlefield with our tour guide, Jim Mikowski, and went through the events. So then when we were able to bring the students together on our Zoom for education session online virtually, we were able to do the, the tabletop introduction exercise and then play the video of the different stops with, um, that we made on the battlefield with Joe. We had like seven different scenes and after each scene, we would stop and we had Joe live on the session so he could add anything that he wanted to add or students could ask questions of him. And even in that environment, it turned out to be the highest rated unit we've ever had within the Executive Academy. Um, I think the overall student rating was like 4.95 out of five points possible. Uh, so we're really excited of, about having the opportunity to be able to get together and do it in person this year, because we think the experience will be even richer for everyone else to be able to interact in person. And that's going to happen next week. Uh, it's going to happen the week of April 25th. So okay. uh, actually April 20, Tuesday, April 26th will be our introduction to the exercise and the tabletop exercise and discussion. And then Wednesday, the 27th will be the day that we'll actually be out on the battlefield with the students really studying in, in person the, the disaster at Gettysburg. So in general, we take a look at the um, the academies. I'm going to chip gears here just a little bit. Um, you know, the, the goal here, I, I believe, uh, is to is to really get um, from basic to, to executive, is to get a great baseline of what emergency management is, move into the advanced, is more leadership, and the executive is really systems and 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 really higher thought level uh, when it comes to, uh, well, that's what I got out of it at least is is really kind of challenging the way you think about things and to help you be a better leader or a better thinker in leadership. Is, is that about right? Yeah, that's a, that's an accurate statement, Todd. On the very first day of the first course of the Executive Academy, we challenged the students. Um, to consider that the whole purpose of the Executive Academy is to ask the questions, why do we think the way we think and why do we do the things that we do? So that we can try to shape and influence policy and doctrine and, and actually help develop uh, executive leaders for the profession going forward. So all three of the academies really have those components that we just build on. Uh, at the basic academy, it's really a foundational experience 
So we focus on technical acumen, leading leading oneself as an individual performer or, or for, performing as a member of a team. In the Advanced Academy, we we build on that technical acumen by moving into organizational acumen of actually leading teams, leading programs, mm-hmm. and leading uh, organizations. And then the Executive Academy really does focus on the leadership acumen that you talked about, Todd, where it's really leading the profession and influencing the profession from the highest possible level. So could this battlefield, uh, the Gettysburg experience, um, is this something that you can actually weave into each of the academies or is this really something that's going to stay at the executive level? Um, It's really going to stay at the executive level uh, primarily because if the way the executive academy is designed, it fits really well in there. When I first got DMI, we did have a leadership study uh, that incorporated Mm -hmm. some of the key leaders at uh, Gettysburg within the advanced academy, but it, it really didn't fit within the context of an emergency management program. And the other issue we have with the basic and advanced academies is a large number of those courses occur as field deliveries sponsored by our state training partners. And it would be very difficult to effectively replicate that experience for everyone if we aren't at Gettysburg. So we're trying to focus it more on our premier programs like the executive Academy. Uh, But I'm hopeful that at some day, we might be able to take that uh, the disaster at Gettysburg experience and have that evolve into a standalone program that we might be able to offer to people that could come to Emmitsburg. Oh, that would be fantastic. Uh, that, that, I think that would be really a, a, a fantastic addition because one of the things I, this is my, again, my opinion on things. One of the things I feel that we as emergency managers fail to do collectively is really understand um, the past. And I mean, what I mean by this is like, we have people who read the history, like they read the Jonestown flood and this or that, and, and they have that understanding. But not, it's, when you talk to all emergency managers, very broad statement, I understand that when you ask them about historical events, um, you know, they don't, they don't get it. They don't understand what the, the decision-making process was. They don't understand the mistakes that were made so we can learn from them. Um, and we, t- we tend to just be in these silos. And I love the idea of bringing history um, into that decision-making process um, as emergency managers, because we can really see what happened uh, without having to make up uh, a scenario. Right. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's great. I think that is a, a great move forward, Kelly. Yeah. Through both the, the basic and the advanced academies, Todd, we use case studies and uh, tabletop exercises or in the basic academy, the final event of the final day before the final exam is a capstone exercise that combines everything that we learned throughout the academy. So part of it is getting students to understand the purpose for each event and then being able to demonstrate the ability to apply those. Um, and I remember that in 2019, the theme of the IAEM annual conference was to learn from the past to shape the future. And that's part of the reason why we try to incorporate case studies and these historical experiences now within the academies so that we can really support that theme because we see that's a need within the profession as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, going back to this, I mean, there's so many that we can choose from, you know, uh, Galveston, for instance, which I think is an interesting uh, case study of, you know, the hurricane coming in and basically decimating the entire. And and one of the things I think is, is that aspect of it too, and what I love what you're doing with the Gettysburg thing is when we talk about responding to disasters, you know, we think about the rescues, we think about 
the you know the the sexy stuff, the lights and sirens. Yeah. Um, but where where we as emergency managers really come into play, I think, and shine the best um, is during the recovery process of really bringing that community uh, back to whole again. Or or in the case of some of the stuff that I'm trying to work on, is really teaching the community to be resilient and robust and anti-fragile, if you will, and becoming stronger and better after after a crisis occurs. And if you take a look at Gettysburg of who they were prior to the, the, the battle and who they are today, I think Gettysburg did become a stronger and better and, and, and more fascinating uh, community than they were. I mean, because I think if the battle of Gettysburg didn't occur, they would just be some farm community in Pennsylvania um, into, instead of what they are today. Uh, absolutely. And and that's part of our focus with this exercise as well, Todd, mm-hmm. is that I, I believe history has shown us, especially even recent past history, that we spend a lot more time and effort and dollars in recovery than we do in response because it takes a long time to recover from disasters, depending on the severity. And even in, in your part of the country, while, while there used to be a wildfire season, now it's almost endemic. So you can't really say, well, we, we can expect that there's going to be wildfires between this time of the year and, and this time of the year. It could happen at any point in time, and the severity has gotten worse. So that we're almost in a, in a, a process of recovery for years after the fact, and, and we need to be able to understand that uh, because wildfires are more frequent and more severe than they were 30 years ago, just like floods and tornadoes and hurricanes are. Absolutely. That's so true. Uh, we, you're right. We don't have a, fl- a fire season anywhere. We just have, you know, wildland fires that occur all the time. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, middle of December, we have wildland fires, you know, it doesn't make a difference anymore. So well, speaking of leadership, um, I want to bring in, in Mark Baker from, uh, who writes on the emergency management network, uh, the Baker's dozen book reviews, and he has a book to talk about. And I think that you'd be interested in this and, uh, and what the message is. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, Todd. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, so so this month's book or that I was reading was uh, Think Again by Adam Grant. And it's based on that very concept of taking those old ideas that everybody is so used to. That's the way we always done it, concepts, and taking and having the courage to rethink uh, those ideas and, and to develop new ideas based on what works now and not just holding on to what we know and are comfortable with. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a process that, that needs to be developed and it has to be practiced on a daily basis and, and incorporated in every aspect of our leadership um, philosophy or duties throughout daily uh, interactions. Um. I think it applies uh, greatly to uh, reaching back into historical uh, events like Gettysburg. And, and what if they, they continue to do things the way we, they've always done it up until this point? I think we'd be, uh, we'd be behind the curve a bit now. So, so having the courage and having the, the willingness to rethink our ideas, setting aside our biases, setting aside our uh, convictions and, and, and traits and being a bit humble and, and adopting some humility in our, in our thought process and, and really rethinking what we do and what works now. 
No, absolutely. And that's great. And, and uh, Dr. Kelly was saying that uh, Adam Grant is one of his professors. And uh, when he was going through his doctoral program, uh, I always love this, the fact of uh, connecting small worlds. Um, I, I do I think about this all the time, right? And, and I've shared the story a lot. And the reason why I'd like to share, I'll share it again, is the uh, grandma or the, the daughter teaching their daughter to bake bread, right? So the mom's teaching the younger daughter to bake bread. Um, and as they put the bread into the oven, um, they put a, uh, a pan of, of water in there and the little girl goes to the mom, Hey, why did we do this? And the mom says, I don't know. That's how my mom taught me. So let's give her a call. They call grandma. Grandma says, I don't know why you guys do it. Um, I don't know. I don't know why we do it because that's the way my mom taught me. And so they call the great grandma and great grandma goes, I don't know why you guys do it. I did it because my stove was broken. And so sometimes we get into this thing. There's a reason, a purpose for it at one point, but it doesn't really have to, there was no other reason to do it outside of that. That was the way they're taught and stuff. And um, we don't rethink and sit back and look at why we do what we do in the, in the big why um, um, on that. And and Dr. You are you are muted, but if you can come back in, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. No, I think Mark makes a great point. And I read that book as well, which is a great book. Um, and Adam Grant's whole premise with the book was um, that we need to be open-minded and reframe the way we look at issues. And he cites a study in the book um, that of research that was done that indicated that the, the more certain someone was that they were correct, the more narrow-minded they were. They were less willing to listen to other ideas and explore other options. And we carry that over into the executive academy as well, which, as I mentioned earlier, and we, we challenge the students from day one. Why do we think the way we think and why do we do the things that we do? Uh, because as leaders, I think all too often our tendency is that if we're faced with a problem, we jump to conclusions and try to solve a problem without really understanding what the problem is and what the root cause of the problem might be and asking questions, why does this exist and what exactly are we trying to accomplish? How do we get people to think, how do we get emergency managers, I should say, to think about with, with the question of why, to be curious and not to say, oh, I've seen this a hundred times. This is the way we do it. And and then I think at times this is when we see mistakes being made um, during disaster response and recovery. No, I, I think it comes down to your, your willingness to accept your, your, your new uh, threats or, or whatever is being thrown at you. You have to, you know, people see changing your mind sometimes as a as a weakness and being wishy washy. So they kind of stick to their guns and they hold on to what they know. But I think if we adopt changing our minds frequently as more of a strength and, and kind of kind of have a cultural shift there, I think that's going to play uh, play well into the profession about being willing to you know not just go with what status quo is what we've always done, but let's try new things and see if it works. And more importantly trying new things and blue skies or exercise events. And then before it's, a, before we get to the, uh, you know, the disaster scenario, I think. I, I think programs like what, what Kelly you're doing um, at EMI, I think add to that ability to let emergency managers, you know, think through processes, through, through decisions, looking at, you know, and through the lens of say, you know, Gettysburg or, or, or other, uh, major events that occurred throughout the uh, uh, throughout the world, um, and, and is really important. So, 
you know, and do you see adding that like I don't like the idea of question authority because that's not what I'm looking for. Questioning status quo, I suppose, um, as something that's positive and that we can actually get emergency managers to do. I, I think so, Todd, because ultimately one of the points that Adam Grant makes in his book as well is that it, we're really talking about behavior changes. And the first and the first step in changing behavior is, is to have the self-awareness to understand that we need to change our behavior. And then what can we do? What processes can we follow to be able to change that behavior? So we we examine some of that uh, in strategic thinking and decision making and also uh, examining biases within the executive academy. We get some of that in the advanced academy as well, but we really hone in on it in the executive academy uh, because we all tend to bring biases to our experience as you know, as, as Mark mentioned earlier, well, we've seen this before and this is what we've done. So we'll do the same thing again. That's a form of bias. It's a confirmation bias. I saw this situation before. This is what we did to resolve it. So if we do the same thing with something that looks like that, we should get the same outcome. Right. You know, and that's not necessarily the case because, as we said, there's greater severity and greater frequency with disasters today. So we really need to understand what type of bias are we exhibiting if we take that approach. So it's, it's really having this self-awareness and understanding that we can change behaviors by reframing the way we think and going back to the point that, that Mark made with this book is think again. And, and as Mark said, the, it's not a sign of weakness to change your mind. It's actually a sign of strength because mm-hmm. it's indicative that you've got enough information as a leader to understand I made a bad assumption, so I need to improve what I did before because I have more information that allows me to make a better decision. All right, last question because we're getting close to the end here. Um, to both of you, should we be introducing this process of thinking to our undergraduate students, um, or is it something that really should be stuck into our, our masters and and uh, and above students? Now, in my opinion, I think the sooner the better. Getting away from the the uh, the task list checking the block mentality and moving into a thinker's mentality instead of uh, just step-by-step. I think the sooner the better train the mind to think is probably the way to go for the profession going forward. Dr. Garrett. I absolutely agree with Mark. Couldn't say it any better. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that 30 minutes went by really fast and uh, I'm going to have to let you guys go. Hey, everybody. And first of all, Dr. Garrett, thank you so much for being with us. It's always a pleasure to see you and and, and talk to you. And Mark, of course, it's always great to see you. (laughs) Um, Everybody else, thank you so much for joining us today. And, you know, these conversations that we have, I think, are critical uh, to moving the profession of emergency management forward. Um, and, And if we're not moving forward, we're dying on the vine. And really take advantage Really, please take advantage of the training opportunities that you can get uh, with FEMA and EMI, uh, whether you're going through the online courses. But, of course, get out to EMI itself um, in Emmitsburg, Maryland. It's beautiful there. And you can check out the uh, Gettysburg as well. Hey, everybody, until next week, stay safe and stay hydrated. <laughs>